John chapter 12. We will be reading verses 1 through 8 this evening. Verses 1 through 8. Brethren, let us hear God's precious and holy word. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. <clears throat> and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Amen. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Now, as John's gospel unfolds, we see the theme of the increasing love of John's disciples against the backdrop of the increasing hatred of his enemies. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, describes a dinner given for Jesus at Bethany, most likely in the house of Simon the leper. The accounts, the parallel accounts given in Matthew and Mark identify this at the home of Simon the leper. Now, in chapter 10 of of John's Gospel, the Pharisees had tried to kill the Lord Jesus because He had clearly proclaimed His deity. They understood exactly what He was saying. And fortunately, many today, even those that uh, call themselves Bible scholars, read the plain Word of God, and yet uh, doubt whether or not Jesus the Christ is in fact deity, that He is in fact God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, come in the flesh. The Jews didn't uh, didn't have any problem understanding that this was Christ's claim. Now, after escaping their attempt uh, on His life to a place beyond Jordan, as chapter 10, verse 40 tells us, Jesus received news that Lazarus was grievously ill. That's what takes up chapter 11. That begins in verses 1 through 3. Now, because of the nearness of Bethany to Jerusalem, Christ risked discovery and death by returning there. His disciples said, the Jews have just recently tried to kill you. Why do you you want to go there? Why do you want to go there? Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem, and no doubt if Christ appeared there in public, the word would get very quickly to Jerusalem that He was near. 
But this is, was exactly the Lord Jesus' purpose. There were times throughout his ministry where he hid himself. But now it was coming time for his passion and the offering of himself as the sacrifice for the sins of his people. <clears throat> and it was exactly his desire to be discovered. His glorious raising of Lazarus from the grave initiated the events that led to the cross. All you have to do is read the last part of chapter 11 and you will find that this extraordinary miracle immediately is announced in Jerusalem and the Pharisees begin to plot his death. We've got to get rid of this guy. A notable miracle has been done. We must get rid of him. People are going to start believing him. All the world is going to go after him. So we have one of those extraordinary moments that John likes to write about. He loves contrast. You read John's Gospel, you read his epistle, he he loves contrast, light, darkness, life, death, all the way through his writings. So here, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is life, uh, has raised someone from the, from the dead. He who is life and gives life initiates the events for his own death. And of course, we know following that, of course, will be his resurrection and glory. So, Christ again retreats from Judea this time to Ephraim, which uh, chapter 11, verse 54 tells us. And, and with this, the Pharisees give a commandment that anyone knowing the whereabouts of Jesus must divulge that information. Now, this is the context for our passage. This is what brings us to this very passage before us this evening. And it is within this context that Christ returns to Bethany for this supper. Here, Mary displays an act of love towards Christ that sets before our eyes the picture of a heart captured by grace. Mary poured out spikenard, very expensive perfume, upon the Lord Jesus, which was worth a huge sum. Striking, lavish outpouring of perfume upon the Lord Jesus. He sees it and announces it. As preliminary to his burial. So, in this particular scene, the fragrance of this perfume fills the house. And that very fragrance demonstrates a living faith against the backdrop of dead religion. And that's what we want to consider this evening. Uh, this message uh, is entitled, The Odor of the Ointment. I used to subtitle all of my messages. In my early years, I read the Puritans uh, fervently, 
And I loved the fact that they would give a title and then they would give a very long subtitle for the purpose, not of taking up more space, but of explaining what the sum of their message was about. While I don't have a lengthy subtitle tonight, I might subtitle this, The Fragrance of Living Faith and the Stench of Dead Religion. We have an, an amazing contrast in this passage that I hope will be instructive for all of us this evening. <clears throat> so, as we gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, as He is anointed in uh, that short period before His awful crucifixion and then His glorious resurrection, uh, we will find it instructive to examine two characters in this um, scene which the Holy Ghost has put before us. But we want to consider Mary and Judas. So let's consider, first of all, a comparison of Mary and Judas. Secondly, a contrast between Mary and Judas. And finally, we want to consider what Mary's love for Christ teaches us. We have a comparison, then a contrast, and then as Mary sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus, we want to we want to sit and learn what she learned and see what we might take away with us this evening. So, let's begin, God willing, with a comparison of Mary and Judas. We have a woman, we have a man, both of them familiar with the Lord Jesus Christ, both of them found in his entourage from time to time, of course Judas with him most of the time, we have Mary set forth in uh, several passages. <clears throat> the first thing to consider about this is that um, both Mary and Judas call the Lord Jesus Lord and Master. Mary, in John chapter 11, the previous chapter, verse 32, after her brother, her beloved brother passes away, it says, Then... When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary was a believer. <clears throat> now Judas was in the entourage. He was among the twelve. He himself spoke of Christ as Lord and Master. Matthew chapter 26, verse 22. We have that uh, sorrowful scene around the table of the Last Supper. It says in verse 22, And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto Him, Lord, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? That liar. He knew it was him. He knew... He had covenanted with the Pharisees. Master, Lord, is it I? 
He used the same terminology that Mary could use. John chapter 13, verse 13. Again, this time before the Lord's crucifixion, the Lord said unto his disciples, Judas being among them, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. He doesn't say, Now, you all call me Master and Lord, except for you, Judas. I've been a little concerned about you. You never say that. He doesn't say that. He says, You, ye, plural, it's your habit to call me Lord and Master. And you're right. <clears throat> Both Mary and Judas, the one that betrayed him, could say that Jesus was Lord and Master. Both served him in some way or another. I could have taken the time to put some of these things together, but of course... Judas among the disciples was sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see in the very passage which we read, he carried the bag. He served everyone by, by being the, uh, uh, the treasurer, so to speak, of the disciples. He served the Lord Jesus in numerous ways. And it is clear that Martha and Mary loved the Lord Jesus and, and served him. Both saw his miracles. I don't know that I could go to any great detail of all the things that Mary saw, but we know this. She saw the resurrection of her brother. What else would she need to see in her lifetime? The one who was dead, raised by the glorious command of Christ. Lazarus, come forth! She had seen one of the most remarkable acts in all of history. One of the most astounding miracles among men. And of course, Judas, being with the Lord Jesus Christ, regularly saw his miracles. John records that if all the things that Christ done had been recorded, if all the things he'd said had been recorded, the world couldn't hold all the books. So imagine what Judas was witness to. Both of them sat under his teaching. Mary got in trouble with her sister Martha. Because she loved the Lord Jesus and His teaching. Now, Martha did too. But Martha was that fastidious one, really wanting to make the house just right for all the guests. She wanted everybody being served. She wanted it to be a wonderful meal. And that's not a wrong desire. But she was so preoccupied with this and she wasn't getting any help from her sister. She went to the Lord and says, Rebuke her. She's not helping me out here in the kitchen. And it was Martha that received the reproof. Says so she's chosen the best part. You're labored, you're cumbered, you're overburdened with all of this preparation. I mean, that's fine and good in its place. But Mary knows where the best part is. It was sitting at Christ's feet, learning from Him. And it goes without saying, does it not, that Judas heard the teaching of Christ day in, day out, day in, day out. There were times when he heard him preaching and teaching to the crowds publicly and times when he taught them, uh, teaching, to the, teaching to crowds publicly and then the times he brought the, the disciples and taught them privately. <clears throat> Both of them were Jews. 
the covenant people. Judas himself, no doubt, bore the very mark of being a man in the covenant in his body, the mark of circumcision. Both of them had been shown kindness and grace by the Lord Jesus. You couldn't be in the presence of the Lord Jesus and not uh, experience His mercy and His grace in many different ways. Again, our very passage shows to us that Mary, <clears throat> Mary had seen her brother restored to her. What kindness! What mercy! That the Son of Man, the Son of God, would speak and call forth one who had died and restore him to his family. Perhaps each one of us here might think of one that we love dearly. That we would love to have had a kindness from the Lord of such a magnitude. A father, a mother, a wife, an uncle, an aunt. How blessed it would be if the Lord would say, Come forth! And we'd have a glorious reunion. Mary had extraordinary mercies from the Lord. Not only that, He'd opened her heart. She loved Him and loved His teaching. Judas, as one of the disciples, tasted the mercy and the grace of the Lord uh, every day. He heard not only the teaching of the Lord, but had His blessed presence. People marveled at His teaching. He personally at times had personal tutoring, just like all of them. The disciples did. The living God come in the flesh. Your tutor. Let's let that sink in a little bit. Both of them served Christ's coming death. However, the picture gets a little darker here. Because Mary anointed the Lord Jesus Christ and showed her love and her act of faith set forth a fragrance that filled the house. It was a blessing to all. Judas served the Lord Jesus Christ as the son of perdition who betrayed Him and turned Him over to His enemies. That was a service to us. The great damnation to his own soul. And quite obviously, then by these, both of them were directed by the sovereign hand of God. The commentators, and I'm sure all of us, no matter how much we sit and wrestle and pray over this passage, the passage doesn't tell us if Mary actually knew that she was anointing the Lord Jesus for his burial. The text doesn't tell us that. All that the text says is that the Lord Jesus said, let her alone. This is for my burial. Whether Mary knew that and did it knowingly, or whether just it was a burst of love from her heart that was used of the Father in heaven, Either way, it was the direction of the sovereign hand of God. And finally, as we 
bring our comparison, the things that they shared in common to a close, both reveal the true nature of their hearts by their words and their deeds. Both of them in this passage give us a look into what they really are. So that brings us then to consider the contrast. The contrast between these two. We've seen where they're alike. How were they different? Well, the first thing that we want to see in this passage is that Mary was selfless and Judas was selfish. Look with me. It says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard. Very costly, the Word of God tells us. And uh, I would imagine that in our day, when we read very costly, we probably don't get the picture what the Scripture is saying. Uh, it's quite apparent that Judas was a man who knew money and knew value. And he said, now look, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence or denarii? 300 pence, brethren, worked out to be about a year's wage. You men that bring your your checks home, whether it be weekly or every other week or whatever cycle you receive your payment on, imagine taking an entire year's wage to pour out on the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the worth, at least the worth. And what do we see in Mary then? We see a selflessness. She could have said, Ah, This is so expensive. I'm just going to take a few drops and put it on the Lord Jesus. He's worthy of a few drops. She might have said, well, this is the one who raised my brother from the dead. I'm going to pour out half. Anyone here would be impressed with that, right? Half a year's wage. She could have said that. And... Would any of us fail to be impressed with seeing half a year's wage poured out on the Lord Jesus? But Mary was utterly selfless. Stretched out before her at the table, and and I explained to you children, especially we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. In those days, they didn't usually sit up at tables and sit in chairs like we do. As they were around the table, most of the time, They were lying down or reclining, usually on their left elbow with their feet extending out. So their feet extended out away from the table. And they would all be looking at each other and being able to converse with one another that way. And they would reach and eat with their right hand. When Mary came in and saw the Lord Jesus lying there, her heart was overwhelmed with a love for Him. We know that. We don't have to read between the lines. She took something of extraordinary worth and she poured it out upon Him. And then she took her own hair and let it down and wiped his feet. 
Mary was selfless when it came to the Lord Jesus Christ. When it came to His glory. When it came to Him being honored. She didn't think about herself. You see, it, would have, it was actually fairly inappropriate in those days for a woman to let her hair down in public. But she didn't think about that. She thought about the Lord Jesus. She didn't go, oh, what will they think of me if I do this here? She didn't think about that. She unbound her hair and she took it and she wiped His feet. And wipe those precious feet with her ointment. That costly, expensive ointment. Maybe it was uh, a family heirloom. Maybe it was something she, she had purchased at great personal cost. We don't know, but it was extraordinarily expensive. And she not only poured out all of it upon him, but she didn't think of herself as she lavished her hair upon his feet. Judas, on the other hand, kept his place. He didn't budge. He was comfortable. He didn't move from where he was eating. He just watched what was going on and got critical. See, living faith isn't caught up with what everybody thinks about it. Now, I'm not saying that our testimonies are not important. But when it comes to pouring ourselves out on the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what other people think. Dead religion can see the service of others and get critical. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, look at this waste. Look at this waste. Judas Iscariot. Simon's son, which should betray him. And that's one of the ways he's known throughout the Gospels. The one that betrayed him. The one that betrayed him. As if there were no viler individual on the planet. The one that betrayed him. The Son of God. John wants us to know. What does the one that betrayed him say? Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, brethren around the table. Look at this woman, she shamed us in her love for Christ, in her selfless giving. Oh, let us join her in praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that in what he said. He said, what a waste here. Now look, this ointment here could have been taken and it could have been given to the poor. What a contrast. Mary thought of Christ and whatever she could do to honor Him. Judas thought of himself. Didn't budge from his comfort. Didn't move from the table. Didn't join in the praise. He just got critical. What are we more like tonight? Are we more like Mary? With a lavish and a generous spending of ourselves on the Lord Jesus, or are we critical of the way other people serve the Lord and the way they use the gifts that God has given them? As if it were any of Judas's business, what Mary did with her spikenard. 
If we read Matthew and Mark, the accounts there show that all of the disciples began to grumble. So if we're reading John correctly, it seems like Judas' dead, stinking religion infected the rest of them. And they all joined in. Yeah, yeah, this is a waste. This is a waste. You're not being a good steward. Brother Stephen and I talk about stewardship all the time. We want to be good stewards. There are times to lavish upon the Lord Jesus. And I very much fear that there are some of us who use lofty terms like Judas to cover a dead heart. This is good religious talk. Who could argue? Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ regularly teach about the poor? Shouldn't we be taking care of the poor? There's nothing wrong with ultimately what he's talking about, but it's coming from a dead heart. It's not coming from praise of the Lord. It's coming from his own selfishness. And we know that from the very passage itself. It says in verse 6, This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the bag. He was the treasurer. And he thought, wow, you know, if we'd have had all that money instead of poured out right here, we'd have had a little more money in the bag. I might have had a little more for me once in a while. You don't notice it as much when there's so much more money in the bag. You don't, know, you don't notice what's gone. Brethren, false religion, dead religion, loves to get pompous about religious principles when it's criticizing others. It'd be good for us to examine our hearts. When we see something that is an overflowing of love for Christ and a giving, and we get a little critical about that, the way that brother, the way that sister is honoring the Lord. We need to be careful. We need to be very careful that what's coming out is not just our own selfishness and just saying, well, look at that. Because sad to say, we can even get God's people to say along with us, yeah, 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 man, this is a waste. <clears throat> Mary was generous Mary was extravagant. It is extravagant, is it not? How many of you would be willing to give up something the equivalent of a year's wages just to pour it out on the Lord Jesus? Won't ever have it again. That precious smell that filled the house, that bottle of it, once, once all that fragrance left the house, gone. Gone. Is there something in you that goes... Yeah, maybe it was a waste. Jesus didn't think so. He's worthy that we should waste ourselves and everything we have on Him. Judas is a thief. Luke tells us, communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray Him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him 
money. That's what Judas liked. Judas liked money. He liked money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. As soon as he'd been bought off, he started looking for his opportunity to betray the Son of God who had been merciful to him and had shown him great kindness. I've over the years been astounded with people that you can kneel in prayer in prayer with and spend time in worship with can later do to you. Astounding. Because there's a difference between the fragrance of living faith and the stench of dead religion. Living faith sees Christ and loves Him and wants Him. And the desire of it is to exalt Him and that He would get all the glory and that whatever we have, no matter how valuable, it's His. And to be used for His glory no matter what anyone else thinks. Quite a difference here between Mary and Judas. Hers was an act of faith. She wouldn't have gone to such an elaborate expense had she not been convinced of who that was lying right there before that table. She wasn't going, well, I hope this is somebody important. You don't spend 300 denarii on maybe. She knew who her Lord was. But you see, that missed. That point was missed by Judas. Because dead faith cannot see the living Savior. Hers was an act of true faith and worship. His was an act of empty, dry religion. And guys, you see this? I got bad stewardship going on here. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. Shouldn't be wasting that money. That's right. We could have given this to the poor. Yeah, 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 we could have done that. Have the, all the disciples chiming in on a wrong cause, on a wrong notion from someone who was motivated by himself. You ever seen any church splits? Very often they come exactly the same way. When the Lord's people without discernment start listening to someone that sounds like a good cause, and all they are is just stirring up trouble. Well, there's a huge difference between living faith and dead religion. Hers was an act of regeneration. It was a sign of life. His act and his words were an act of degeneration. Not only a man dead, but a man about to die. The son of perdition. Her love and her humility revealed that she was the elect of God. Can you imagine? Let's all put ourselves in this position. Let's, let's sit down and think about this picture for just a minute. We're all at the dinner table. We're all reclining, we're talking, we're enjoying our our fellowship together. 
And then all of a sudden this woman comes in and she, she gazes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. She has this alabaster flask. She breaks the neck off of it. Now this is what you do when you're going to pour the whole thing out because it's going to spoil. She's going to get rid of all of it. She's not going to keep the top. She breaks the neck off of it because it says she broke the box or the, the alabaster container. And Matthew and Mark say she anointed his head. John says that she anointed his feet. We also find that if we look carefully in, in Matthew and Mark's account, the Lord says, She hath anointed my body. Well, if we understand all of that, each one is emphasizing something different for a specific purpose. Matthew, of course, saw the Lord Jesus Christ as the King. And here, in her act of humility, Mary is anointing the King on his head. The King is about to die on a cross. John has her anointing his feet. Again, an act of humility. You see, now, now get the picture. She pours it out on his head, anoints his body, anoints his feet, and then she gets down and unlooses her hair. Everyone would be backing up and thinking, oh man, what's happening here? Why is she doing this? And then in utter humility and love for him, she begins to take the tresses of her hair and wipe his feet. Now, you'd be embarrassed at that, wouldn't you? Come on. Isn't that an unusual scene? Isn't that a strange scene? It wouldn't surprise me if the men joined in with Judas because they were embarrassed at her act of outright love for Christ. They weren't showing him that kind of love. They were all just sitting around the table eating them like a bunch of guys. And here, an extraordinary show of affection and love comes into the room. Her love and her, and her humility reveal her to be the elect. But Judas's act of empty religion and covetousness reveal him to be the reprobate that he was. Someone who could walk with Christ for years, be in His presence for years. Here He's teaching publicly and privately for years. Saw His miracles for years. And sold Him to His enemies for a handful of money. He was a reprobate. And there are those who sit in churches and hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God for years. And they see the mercies of God, sometimes even miracles. And they talk religion, but in their hearts they're still grasping, lustful, thieves, Assassins of people's characters, uncontrolled in their tongues, covetous. There's not the fragrance of living faith about them. There's just the stench 
of dead religion. Well, that brings us then to consider, finally, what Mary's love for Christ teaches us. There are a lot of things that Mary and Judas had in common. And there are a number of things here that clearly show a contrast between them. We don't want to learn from Judas how to go to hell. We do that naturally. You want to know how to go to hell? Just don't do anything. Just go on living the way you're living. Just live your own selfish life. Live and do what you want to do every day. Grasp. Uh, plan out your life. Make all of your plans without prayer. Make all of your plans and your decisions without going to the Word of God. Hey, throw a little religion in, in on that. That's, that's fine. Yeah, just throw a little religion in. Go on, on Sundays. Go when it's convenient, when there's not an important uh, baseball game or football game to go to. Or an important meeting that uh, someone down at work has called. I mean, just, just go on with your life. And live it the way you want to live it. And you will go straight to hell. Along with Judas and all the reprobates. But I trust we all want to learn from Mary. We want to see from who the one who's alive some things that would point to what life looks like. And the first thing that we want to see is this. Mary was a woman of humility. She was a woman of humility. God's people are humble. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Mary got down with all those fellows in that room looking and lavished her riches and herself upon the Lord Jesus Christ and wiped His feet with her hair. And while all the guys chimed in and started griping, the Lord Jesus said, let her alone. Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what she's done here is going to be remembered. Before honor comes humility. And Mary is a glorious picture of that for us. Are you humble, God's people? Those of you that profess to be His children tonight, is there any humility about you? I was humble before you. Can you say that? You've got to know what humility is. It's having a proper estimation of who and what you are before God. See, and Mary knew. Mary knew right where she belonged. At the feet of Jesus. She was the one being fussed at by her sister. Get out of there. Stop just sitting there at his feet. Come help me in the kitchen. Where was she? Right at the feet of Jesus. There was a humility about her. Brethren, for the Lord's children, there ought to be some humility about us. Proverbs 8, verse 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. Judas was haughty. How much will you give me for him? We'll give you 30 pieces of silver. All right. I got more money. 
got more money. And I'll be looking for the opportunity. Oh, bless you, Master. Oh, is it I? Am I a... You said someone here is going to deceive... uh, Is going to uh, be deceitful and betray you? Is it I? You haughty, liar, arrogant. Sure, it's you. Before the destruction, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. It wasn't going to be long before Judas would run out into darkness. He would bring the enemy to the Lord Jesus Christ in an act of supreme arrogance. He would bring the very enemies to where the Lord Jesus Christ was and turn him over to those who would torture him and kill him. And then he went and hung himself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Yea, all of ye be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Let me ask you tonight, are you properly dressed? Are you properly dressed as you came in here this evening? I'm not talking about your outward clothes. Did you come in here clothed with humility? Or did you come in haughty? There's some people here that you're just a little bit better than. There's some people here you're a little bit smarter than. There's some people here that you're just a little more spiritual than. You know a little more of the Bible than some of the folks here. And you know it. Or did you come clothed with humility? You see, the fragrance of living faith isn't caught up with all of the things that people can say about it. She wasn't worried about letting... Mary wasn't worried about letting her hair down and wiping the Lord's feet. All she wanted was for Him to be exalted. She came in clothed in humility. And we should be clothed in humility. Because the Word of God goes on to say, For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Are we better here tonight? Because we have a ministry that gives away literature. Brethren, when I first got here, I actually had to listen to two or three people here saying, yeah, 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 that ministry, yeah, 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 they sell their stuff. We give ours away. God hates that, brethren. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We're not worried what other ministries are doing. We're answering for us. We're not looking at everybody around the table. We just want to exalt the Lord Jesus. God in heaven doesn't need Mount Zion. He doesn't need Chapel Library. He can raise up a thousand chapel libraries from the stones tomorrow. He doesn't need you and me. But He loves when humble, humble servants come before Him and lavish themselves upon Him. He loves that. In fact, He reproved those fellows around the table. Let her alone. She's honoring me. And the whole world will hear about her. 
Something else we want to learn from Mary is meekness. Meekness. Meekness goes along with humility because the idea of, of meekness is having a clear understanding of oneself before God. Very, very similar to humility. Meekness is not wimpiness. Some people think of meekness as milk toastness. Meekness is an inner strength. The Lord Jesus was the meekest man that ever lived. And there was no one stronger or greater. Meekness understands what it is before God. And that's why Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Meekness. Mary was manifesting meekness. Knowing that she might even receive criticism from someone, which she did. She went right ahead before God and exalted the Lord Jesus. Brethren, let us exalt the Lord Jesus. Let us come in meekness, knowing who and what we are. Knowing that if we know anything about Christ, it's because He in His mercy came and revealed Himself to us. That He came and had mercy on the Lazarus of our soul. Just as surely as the Lord Jesus stood before that tomb and called Lazarus to come out of the grave, so He came to you and He came to me and said, Come forth. And that's the only reason we love His Word. That's the only reason we have a desire to pray. That's the only reason we want to gather with His people, whoever they are, wherever they are, and pour ourselves out upon Him. Or do we? Do we have the fragrance of living faith? Or do we just carry about the stench of dead religion? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, if we really, really, really love the Lord Jesus Christ, what we want is peace among His people. We want to encourage His people. We want to see them built up. You see, that will take selflessness, not selfishness. That's the next thing we learn from Mary is her selflessness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Brethren, do you understand that's what was happening right here at the table? As the Lord lay reclining at that table and eating supper, He knew that He had set into motion all of the events that would nail Him to the cross. He was found in fashion as a man, and there He was among men. What a lowly mind was in the Son of God, that He would in His holy condescension lie at that table with a group of men so dull that they join in with the harping of the Son of Perdition instead of weeping with praise as Mary honored Him. 
We need selflessness. 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 Husbands, you'll never rule your home until you're selfless. You'll never rule it right. Romans 15 says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. What do you think it did to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as Mary wiped his feet with her hair to hear the men that he's about to give his life's blood for complaining? What's going on here? What a waste! Waste that's poured out on the Lord Jesus? The, the, the glory and joy He must have felt as He looked at this precious woman and the dagger that must have stuck in His heart as the men that He personally taught were going, yeah, yeah, this is a waste. The Lord Jesus came that they might have life. And they're complaining that someone is honoring Him. And brethren, we're made of the same stuff. Not a one of us different from one of those fellows lying around the table. Except that I trust that all of you here, I hope and pray that all of you here are alive. The Lord's people, like the disciples that night, can make errors and listen to the wrong folks. But finally, let's think of three other things very quickly. Our our time is pressing on. Another thing we can learn is that if we really want to lavish ourselves upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll suffer. Instead of someone saying, you know, I was so moved about your love for Christ that I was just humiliated and it just made me praise Him too. (laughs) Nobody said that. They just wanted to know why there was all that waste. Brethren, you'll even be criticized by your, your other brethren if you just waste yourself on the Lord Jesus. All right, now, let's don't go overboard. We also want to learn from her submission. Throughout the Scripture, lying at someone's feet was a sign of submission. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, hearing Him teach. And now, as He lay at the table, she lay at His feet. What a picture. Someone who loved the Lord so. She poured out her most precious living, uh, I mean, a precious uh, physical possession, most likely. Something that cost a year's wage in those days was unheard of. She had sat drinking in his astonishing teaching, and now she risked her sister's anger. Mary, get off the floor. You're not helping me. If Martha were actually in that scenario, she's not mentioned. Um, I'm sorry, she is mentioned. Martha served. And she risked uh, being rebuked again, all to exalt the Lord Jesus. And finally, worship. Worship. What Mary got a hold of that no one else seemed to get in this particular scenario. Moved by the Spirit of God, she took what was valuable to her, and her own reputation and put it on the line for the Lord Jesus just so that He would be exalted. 
while everyone else griped and complained and criticized, the Lord Jesus took notice. Let her alone. Let her alone. Brethren, if no one else takes notice of your service and your worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will never miss it. Rejoice and honor Him. Lavish yourself upon Him because her living faith sent a fragrance as she poured out that that ointment, that expensive ointment upon Him that filled the whole house. It even covered up their their griping and their complaining. No telling how long that, that blessed fragrance filled the air. But like all of our praises, they... They eventually go away. But at least for that moment, the whole house was filled with something beautiful as she exalted the Lord Jesus. Is it any wonder when we think that Jesus Christ is the living God come in the flesh to give Himself upon the cross of Calvary for all of His people, to die for all of their sins, to be raised again, to ascend to the right hand of the Father that they might have everlasting life that the Father has said, let all the angels worship Him. Oh, may we like Mary, may we like Mary, waste ourselves and everything that we have upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what living faith looks like. Sometimes it even fills the house with a lovely fragrance. Unfortunately, dead religion doesn't do that. There's a stench about it that we can identify if we spend enough time looking at Judas. So may God help us to gaze upon Mary as she gazes upon Christ and let us learn from her who sat at His feet. Father, I thank Thee for this moment. I thank Thee, O Lord, that we have the time to come and give our evening to the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, when the world thinks it's got to have all day long to accomplish what it needs to accomplish, we've come this evening to take our time and say, it's yours, Lord. We've come and brought our ears and our, and our eyes of faith. And we've, we've come, O oh Lord, uh, with our families. We've offered them up to Thee. And we say, they're, they're Thine, Lord. You're worthy. Oh, Father, may everything about us be lavished upon the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be like Mary. May we take our eyes off of everyone else. May we become deaf to their criticisms. And may we with with luxury waste ourselves upon Thee, for Thou art worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 480-
450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.